Well, good morning, church. It's been pretty fun so far, huh? Yes. Glad you're here with us today. Today we uh, continue in a teaching series called Resurrection Stories. And let's just jump in. Sound good? Yeah. You know, the Bible um, has an interesting way of recording some of the mistakes of some of the greatest people. Just like, okay, this happened. It just discloses it. Have you ever noticed that? Some people actually struggle with that sometimes. It's like, why? Well, I think well, we'll get to that, but here's, here's a list. So Noah got drunk. Abraham lied. Jonah ran from God. Isaiah preached naked. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> John the Baptist ate bugs. Big mistake. Uh, the woman at the well had five husbands. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Solomon had 300 wives. Another big mistake. Let me just tell you, it's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. And then uh, Peter. Peter had what I'm kind of calling false belief. And we're going to unpack that a little bit today. He had false belief and he denied Jesus when it mattered the most. So why would the Bible record these things? Why would, like, I'm just asking, why would the Bible make note of this? See, for the greatest people, the, the bearers of God's salvation plan, um, and then make note of all of their, like, failings. I think, I think it's to encourage us. <laughs> I think it's to encourage us because we make mistakes. I make mistakes. You guys make mistakes. And so it reminds us that even some of our heroes in the scripture make mistakes. It helps us. And it reminds us of the power of God's grace, that people aren't really the hero, actually. Right? Jesus is the hero. Yahweh is the hero. And he uses us Amen. to his glory. Amen. Proverbs 24, verse 16. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise, they rise again. And the NLT, again, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. Yeah. So important to realize it's okay to fall, but we get back up. So today I want to talk about this kind of this idea um, of failure. I don't know how you respond to that word, but to this reality of falling short. Failure and its relationship to faith and then the reality of the resurrection. Sound good? Amen. Let's pray and we'll continue. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. For being with us. Um, I even sense just the room is not only full with uh, your people, but with even angelic, with your presence. Um, we thank you, Lord, that this world is not just natural, there's a supernatural part to it. So we thank you for heaven celebrating the dedication of these babies, and that your grace is a bigger story than our failures. And so would you give us hearts and, and minds in tune with that and with this word today. Help us lead change. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, have you guys ever, um, have you ever experienced uh, solar eclipse? Yeah. yeah. Apparently there's one coming to dripping next year, like a full solar eclipse, which is like so wild that it's happening in dripping, Travis was saying, like all the places to, to see it from, it's happening in dripping next year. Um, it's fascinating. So if you're unfamiliar, it's basically when the moon passes between the earth and the sun, casting this huge shadow 
that blocks the sun's light, right? So I remember the first time, the only time I actually saw one, I was in elementary school up in Toronto, Canada. We made these goggles and we went outside and we were so, you know, expectant for this cosmic thing and see the sun um, be blocked and see a second night in one day kind of thing, right? So we're just like expecting that. Um, and so as we were out there, uh, I kind of felt in my heart like just a little, like this like emotion come up, like as the moon was coming over. And I was just like, I was just a little kid, and so I was just like trying to understand what was happening. And I felt a little bit of curiosity and excitement, but then I started to sense like some of the birds acting weird. And like even my other, the other um, classmates acting a little bit funny as well. And so what happened next was really unbelievable and slightly scary for a kid. But we'll get back to that in a minute. Let's jump into the word here. <laughs> Open loop. Let's jump into the word. Um, I want to march through uh, this passage in Luke 22 and allow uh, the scripture to lead us to a certain point. And then we're going to uh, dial in and park there for the remainder of our time. Okay, so Luke 22. Turn your Bibles there. We'll set it on the, on the screen as well, but it's always good to have it. You can just do your own reading as I'm going to see a little bit more of the context, etc. But speaking of the context, so this is the scene of the Last Supper. This is the last Passover meal that Jesus would have with his disciples before he's arrested and brutally tortured to death on a cross and then buried for three days but then resurrected to new life. And so this is the last meal he has with his disciples. We, many of us know this, but it's just good to try to like see this afresh. I just don't let this become Christianese or ordinary. This is a very, very significant moment for our Messiah. So let's jump in, Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Let's actually just pause there for a second. So as I was kind of alluding to it, this is a very meaningful moment for Jesus. So the Passover is like a time for us to remember and the people of God and Israel to remember the deliverance of Israel out of what? Out of slavery and out of Egypt. And so this is the central act, the very central act of the redemptive work of God for his people. And so, you know, some Bible scholars actually say that this story, the deliverance of the people of Israel out of Egypt, is God's favorite story because he constantly refers back to it. He has the prophets. He's inspiring the prophets to, hey, remember when I delivered you out of slavery? Remember when I brought you into freedom and I gave you a new land? And so this is them remembering this. And in this moment, Jesus is about to disclose what it's really about. And he's about to disclose this renewal. And so for Jesus, he knows that this act and this, this suffering that he's about to do is about to provide a new center of redemption for the people of God. So verse 8, let's continue. Jesus sent Peter and John. These are his closest disciples. He sends them out. He says, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And then he, they say, where do you want us to prepare for it? He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I, might, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? 
He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. So I, I kind of find this a little bit like kind of mysterious and interesting. So go into the city. Jesus said, go into the city, go into Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. Follow a dude carrying water to his house, like two creeps. And then find the owner and say, the teacher is asking for your guest room for Passover for his disciples. Not mysterious at all. So verse, verse 12, he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished and make preparations there. This is like Jesus kind of flexing his prophetic gifts. No big deal. This is what's going to happen. Go. That's um, great. 13, they left and found things just as Jesus told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his, his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And so he goes on after this in the preceding verses here to share the significance of this renewed Passover in the new covenant. Verse 19, and he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's renewing the Passover now and making him the center. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Then Jesus goes on to warn the disciples that there's going to be a betrayer, and someone's going to betray him, and they begin to ask each other, Who's that going to be? And then after that, this, a lot goes on in this Last Supper, not to mention Jesus washes their feet, but we're not going to talk about that. But then this dispute arises amongst them. So they're, they're having this meal, and then they start basically arguing about who's the greatest. It's like, who's, who's the best, right? You guys remember that? And so these, the, the disciples have been with Jesus for three years, seeing him cast out demons, seeing him give compassion to the marginalized, seeing him teach about the kingdom of God all the time for three, for three years, but they continue to, to fail to see the point and really see Jesus properly. So Jesus responds in verse 27, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So picture this, here we are, king of the world. This is Jesus, right? God in human form. King of heaven and earth. And how does he describe himself? I am among you as one who serves. Let that move your heart. So so, so much of this is so upside down. It takes Sometimes we just got to like sit with that and meditate on these things. And some of it's just like maybe comes off like just churchy. But this is incredible. Our God wants to come and serve. This is showing the example. I had to actually like, I, I grew up with all this stuff, but I had to like just make a cup of coffee and go for a walk. How is the creator of the universe the one who comes and washes feet and serves me and my family and my church and our community? This is the example. So upside down, but it makes sense when we look through the lens of the kingdom. And then when, when that happens, like renewal starts to happen in our own life and around us. Bill Johnson, he's a pastor in Redding, California, and he has this really interesting, like, so it's, I really appreciate some of his perspective on certain things. And this is one of them. He has this phrase that I think rings so true in uh, the kingdom of God for Christ followers. He says this, rule with the heart of a servant, serve with the heart of a king. <laughs> Chew on that one. Verse 28. <clears throat> Jesus continues, 
You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me. So they may eat and drink at my table, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so this part at the end is, is uh, what scholars are talking about, is like the heavenly reward for serving like Jesus. So being, being a servant doesn't mean that we go unrewarded. Right? We have to remember that. Quite the opposite. God's greatest servants receive the greatest rewards, but great servants don't serve for the sake of reward. They, they serve for the sake of God's glory. This is what God's inviting us into. And so Jesus, in, in this section here, he leans into Peter. We'll read this next verse in a second. He leans into Peter, which makes me think that... <coughs> Peter was at the center of this prideful dispute. He's like just changing his focus and he starts talking to, to Peter. And he calls him not by, by his given name, by the name he gave, but the name Simon. And so he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. It's a very interesting passage here. So imagine, imagine this, guys. Imagine you're you're going to talk to Peter after this, okay? And you just go out with coffee, go out to coffee, and you hang out and you're like, Peter, I noticed that you had this like very interesting exchange with Jesus. You like that? That was what was going on with that interaction? How did that go for you? Um, and then Peter's probably like, Oh, not that good. <laughs> Jesus said that Satan wanted to sift me like wheat. Well, Peter, obviously. Jesus wouldn't let, let that happen, right? No, Jesus said that he prayed for me, and he told me that to strengthen my brothers uh, when I turn back, whatever that means. <clears throat> and so I think what most of us want to hear, I know what I want, would want to hear is, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, but I have rebuked him on your behalf. <laughs> but that's not what happens here. Jesus is interested in a different kind of faith that Peter currently possesses. Jesus has this prayer, right? He says that your faith would not fail. And the Greek word used here is, has its semantic root in the word klepo. And that's actually where we get the term eclipse from. And so what Jesus is saying is Satan is going to put something between you and me. That's going to block you from seeing And what you believe about me is actually going to fail. But this eclipse will pass, and when it does, strengthen your brothers. So let's go back to that eclipse story I was joking around with. Um, let's put up that, that slide here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Luke. <laughs> So this is a picture of an eclipse. And so I remember um, how I felt, and so I was, I was just like maybe eight or nine, and I was so curious, you're telling me the sun's gonna disappear? And so I had like a sense of awe and excitement. <clears throat> and as I was mentioning, like, I started to feel a little bit funny. In my heart, I felt a little bit fearful, I think. The birds were acting so confused. And there was this emotional kind of like rising amongst everybody, including the teachers. And a chill wind seemed to come up right then as well. That doesn't help. And so darkness started to come over everything. 
and the sun was gone. And uh, even like some of the kids started to like scream and like cry. It was that weird. Um, you know, the kids are afraid of the dark sometimes. And so I can remember from my vantage point uh, that the sun had literally disappeared. And here's the thing, when the, the sun, everything was fine. Like the sun was doing just fine. But where I was standing, something got in front of my ability to see. Uh, you can't really see me well right now, can you? You can turn the lights, you can turn the lights back up. Little theatrical effect. Um, so here's the point with this. The strategy of Satan is to eclipse God. It's to position you in such a way that you cannot see him anymore. You can't see Jesus. You see, it just seems I can't, I can't see Jesus. That's Satan's strategy. One of them. The number one way that Jesus, or that Satan does this, is by the way he blocks Jesus and wrecks our faith. Let me ask you, how does, what are the things that, that Satan wants to put between you and Jesus? What eclipses your sight? Let's just shut it up. Lies. Lies. Fear. Worry. Division. Division. Did I hear sin? Attack on your identity. Deception. Doubt. Fear. Temptation. Fear. Fear. Doubt. Doubt. <clears throat> Absolutely. We probably can go on and on. The one I wanted for our purposes today is actually to talk about sin and failure. Sin and failure eclipsing God's grace. And all those other things, fear, deception, lies. Absolutely. Attacks on our identity. But a lot of it comes with our own shortcomings. It's our own, like, we're not enough, just falling short with sin or failure. And then it eclipses God's grace in our life. We fixate on those things in our past and then present, and we stop seeing the grace of God. You know, Peter doesn't know it at the time, but he doesn't actually trust in Jesus. He trusts in Peter. He's got a false sense of, of self-assurance. Maybe you're like, oh, dude, that's a little harsh. <laughs> but, like, I don't think so. I mean, remember he pulls Jesus aside? And he's like, even if these slob disciples abandon you, I will never. I got you, Jesus. <laughs> right? And Jesus is like, Peter, I appreciate that, but you're going to deny me three times tonight. So, <laughs> Peter, at this point, he's like, no, 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 no. I, I, I will never. I'll never do that, Jesus. Is confident in his confidence, trusting in his ability to trust. Peter doesn't quite know yet, but he's he doesn't really believe in Jesus. He believes in his belief in Jesus. You follow? So what's going to happen is he, his his belief in his belief of Jesus is going to fail, and then he'll have to learn how to really put his belief in Jesus to really believe in him. There's a huge difference. Are you getting what I'm saying here? You know, this happened in my own life. It happens all the time, actually. <laughs> Just like, oh, I can do this. It's belief and trust in my own abilities or something, my own performance. Um, I became a Christian when I was 16, and it was a radical conversion for me. I was living a wholly, totally different lifestyle, and then I gave my life to Jesus, and I totally changed, and I went after the things of the kingdom with all my heart. I was wholehearted about it. Um, 
but I still had like some false belief. But like, I would literally, guys, I would take the, the bus in Toronto to the mall and then share my faith at the mall and like share my faith with like dozens of people. And like, I remember one day I like shared my faith with like 31 people and like one time I was just like, God loves you. Um, like, can I pray for you? Jesus is alive. And they're just like looking at like a little 16 and I'm like, what are you doing talking to me right now? <laughs> I was on fire in a certain way. Um, but when some stuff happened with the church that I was a part of and my family, some things happened in my family and um, it really started to rock my belief. And I started, my face started to shrink back. And I started to blame the church. I started to blame God. And I started to like really just lose my way. And when you lose your way, it's easy to dip back into your old ways. And so like dip back into sin and things like that. And so this is really what happened with, with Peter. And I can relate to it, right? He had, I had, I can relate to Peter, this false sense of self-assurance. Maybe you can relate in your own, in your own life. So when things didn't go the way that Peter thought, Peter thought he was, the Messiah was coming to overtake the Romans and a new empire was coming. But what happens instead? His Messiah, the, the, the leader of Israel, is crucified by the Romans. And so he's just like, oh my gosh, my world is, is crumbling. And he shrinks back. And so he, at the, the, this pinnacle moment, he doesn't have the faith and he denies Jesus because his, his faith wasn't actually in Jesus, but his own, his own self. And so what does he do? He runs back to his old life, and he gives up on his destiny, and he went back to fishing. I mean, we know the story. But Jesus was like, bro, enough with the fish. Enough with the fish. So something I just love so much, something I find so compelling about the person of Jesus is that he doesn't leave us in our sin and failure. He actually comes to us. The picture of the gospel is actually like, he runs to us in our sin. Isn't that mind-blowing? It's like, oh, I sin. God doesn't want. No, that's the point of the gospel. He runs towards us. While we were still sinners, he came towards us. I just love this about our God. And so he comes and runs to Peter. Right? He calls him back to his destiny. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Speaks purpose and destiny over Peter. He's doing it over us as well. He calls him back and resurrects his faith and his story. We cannot base our faith on our own faithfulness, y'all. We need to base it on his. This is true faith. Because when we base our faith on Christ's faithfulness, that's, that's the saving grace, the saving faith. And I also want to make note, it's not about our feelings. And I'm an emotional guy. I, I am. <laughs> but I can't be led by our emotions. And it can't be led by how well I do. And so Jesus on the cross, he doesn't say like, try harder. <laughs> Imagine that. Try harder, strive. Being crucified, strive. It's about your performance. Your outcome is based on your performance. <coughs> he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, it is finished. And so now it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to take Jesus seriously to put our faith in him and not our own beliefs or our own ideas of how things should go. We should live from that place. Amen? Call it Gabrielle. We need to close here. Here's, here's the good news. <laughs> the recovery and growth of our faith is not dependent on us trying harder. 
Okay? It just takes the burden off. It's about responding to Jesus in his grace with full surrender and trusting him. Now, because of the cross and the resurrection, we can sort of like sidestep that eclipse. Whatever is blocking you, man, just work, family stuff, mental health stuff, my own sin, my own like intellect, like my, the way my mind works, whatever, whatever the thing is, just sidestep it. God is taking care of it. And so we can sidestep this and see Jesus and get a better view of the Son of God. And some of you guys, I think, some of us, I struggle with this too. It's just like feelings of failure. And I failed big time. Why did I do that thing in the past? Why was I like that? Why did I do this thing? Why did I have this interaction? We can just carry that on ourselves. I just didn't do enough. But the reality of the resurrection, hear this, is that because Jesus got up, we can too. We can too. And I want to close with this. This is exactly what Peter did as well. We learned from him. He fell so hard, humiliated, denied Jesus three times. But then Jesus redeems him three times. And then the book of Acts is just is this showcase. It's this homage to like the redemptive power of the story of Peter. Being like, I have a new faith. I know who Jesus is. I'm going to live for him. In Acts 2, Peter preaches, and thousands of people come to salvation. In Acts 3, Peter heals a crippled man saying, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have, I give it. Generous with what he's been given. Supernatural power. Acts 4, Peter had so much courage that it astonished the leaders and convinced them that, they, that he had been with Jesus. In Acts 5, this one's so interesting. People were healed just by Peter's shadow walking by. Did you catch that? Redemption of the eclipse. Now he's walking by and people are being healed. Acts 9, Peter performed the first resurrection since Jesus. <laughs> and then Acts 10, Peter has the courage. He didn't, he was, he was a coward before, but now his belief is in Jesus. And he has the courage to preach to the Gentiles when a lot of the others were unwilling. So the people, we are people of the resurrection. So people of the re resurrection believe that God's purposes are bigger than our failures. Amen? This is Peter's story, and this can be our story as well. Let's live this out together. Amen? Let's transition here just into a posture of prayer and response to some of this stuff. I'm going to call up the band. And so even just right now, maybe posture yourself. Lift your hands out like this. Your hands in your heart. To go deeper than just like cognition. Go deep into the the core of who you are. Just to be in touch with yourself. You know, sometimes it's hard to encounter Jesus if we're not willing to encounter ourselves. If we stay in denial, it's hard for him to work. He doesn't transform who we're pretending to be. He transforms who we really are. So maybe close your eyes if you need to, if you're 
my focus here. And so I want to encourage us boldly just to be in touch with maybe feelings of failure. Feelings of shortcomings or just moments where you feel like something has been eclipsing you from Jesus. And then just hold that in your hands. And then give that to Jesus on the cross. And watch what he's taken on his body. sidestep. Speak to that thing. Get out of my light. <laughs> Get out of my light. Sometimes it's not something so sinful or evil. It's just, Lord, we don't have any focusing muscle. <laughs> it's overly distracted. Can't even focus on this moment or something. Impatient, hurrying. Lord, I pray that you awaken us to the glory of the Son. To be expected, Lord, that you can move in this moment. <clears throat> we give you permission to do the miraculous, to bring healing, Lord, and you already have of hearing stories. So would you bring us close? Would you help us to see you in this place? In Jesus' name. Amen.